I want to take a brief moment to do something my dad told me to do in the first service. Problem was, I didn't get the text, so I just want to make sure I don't blatantly disobey him. Just want to take a second to talk about Grandpa. He has been a pastor for a long time, and he's been really good. And his ministry just lives through his three kids, my aunt and uncle, especially my mom, just lives through them. And how they've raised us, every time we go over, we pray before every meal, holding hands. He has been really good to us and has really, for me as a young man growing up, given me an example of how to be an adult. So I just want to thank you, Grandpa. Now please stand as we read God's Word. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord from Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Between the music and uh, that, you about did me in. I'll tell you, it is a privilege always to be here, and I am so grateful that the, li- the Lord has allowed me to, to see Him working in the lives of our children and in the lives of our grandchildren. It is truly an answer to many, many prayers, and he's not done, and I'm grateful for that. And I trust that you will continue to pray for our family. We pray for you as a church family, and trust that God will continue to do just an amazing work in this place. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we quiet our hearts before you right now, and I ask of you, Father, that you would grant to me the grace and the strength to be willing to say whatever it is that you would want me to say, no more, no less, but to say it no matter what. Father, help me to be fully trusting in your Holy Spirit to give me the boldness and the clarity as he empowers me to preach. Father, I pray that you would direct all of our thoughts so that Jesus alone is glorified. And Father, I pray right now, in this moment, for a fresh baptism of your love for these, your people, gathered in this place and listening online. Father, I pray that you would take our hearts and unite them in common cause, and that is that we might hear from you, and having heard from you, we might find our lives changed from glory to glory. 
For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I'm preparing to preach, there are many different things that ultimately lead me to that place where I am confident that I have heard from the Lord and know what it is that he wants me to share. I believe it was Adrian Rogers who said that he would at times stretch a rope across the stream of consciousness and allow thoughts and things to float by and whatever got snagged by that line he would pay attention to. Well, what I want to share with you this morning was one of those things that came floating by and got snagged and as I began to examine it, I became convinced it was exactly what it was that the Lord wanted me to share with you. Sometime recently, I listened to a talk by Elizabeth Elliot as she was speaking to a large crowd of women at a women's conference. I had heard of Elizabeth Elliot all of my Christian life. Her husband was Jim Elliott, one of the five missionaries who was killed by the Aka Indians a number of years ago. And she spoke of how she was attending a school in Canada as a lonely student there. And one day she heard a knock at her door. <clears throat> she went to the door, and there was standing a radiant, white-haired woman whose face simply radiated the love and grace of Christ. And the woman said to her, Dear Betty, I know that you don't know me, but I know you, and I've been praying for you. And being from Scotland, I would love to have you come by and have some Scottish tea with me someday and perhaps some scones and also we could chat perhaps for a while. Elizabeth said she was the most radiant, joy-filled, loving, peaceful person that she had ever met. And so she gladly took up Mom Cunningham's, as she called her, Mom Cunningham's invitation to come by and visit with her and she said I would often go and sit in her basement apartment and there pour out my woes and my troubles and my stories to her and we would have wonderful conversations together. Mom Cunningham had been widowed about four years after Elizabeth had been widowed and the two of us one day, two of them one day were discussing between them what it meant to them to be widows. Mom Cunningham spoke of her regrets. She said, there were things that I had done that I should not have done, and things that I should have done that I had not done. And I prayed, Lord, why didn't you show me? And the Lord answered, because you weren't ready to be shown. Because you weren't ready to be shown. I'm very grateful for every one of you who are here this morning and those who are 
listening online. But no matter how many of us there are, what really matters is what God is going to do in individual lives. The importance is measured only in that regard. And in many ways, I'm convinced that what's going to happen in our lives depends upon whether or not we're ready to be shown. You see, sometimes our own stubbornness and willfulness and immaturity prevent us from receiving things that we really need. Sometimes things in our lives have to become really desperate before we're ready to be shown. The passage before us that you heard read by Aidan just a few minutes ago, it's a great encouragement and a place to position ourselves where the Lord can help us significantly if we will respond to Him. In looking at these verses that are before us this morning, there are three invitations and there is then a promise that Jesus gives. Each of us is required to give a response. Just this last week, Carol and I received two invitations. One was to attend a wedding at a distant city. Some friends that we've known all of our adult lives, their son is getting married, and they invited us to come. And at the bottom of the invitation that we received were those four letters, R-S-V-P. You know, of course, what they stand for, Responde s'il vous plaît. It's French, and it means respond to us. Let us know whether or not you're going to be coming or not coming. We also received another, another invitation. This was to attend a meeting, and because of our prior commitment, we are going to be unable to attend. But at the bottom of that, it said, your RSVP will assist us in planning and anticipation. Again, the message was clear. Please respond. Now, in these cases, responding is simply a matter of common matters. But the truth is, it seems like that in some ways, that whole art of responding has fallen on hard times. We get invitations that say RSVP, and we either forget or we don't. But the fact is, it leaves people wondering and waiting whether or not we're going to come or not. This morning... It's a much more serious matter, though, because we must RSVP to Jesus. So in order to understand this, we must look at the invitations that he's extending to us. I already indicated there are three of them, so walk with me through them. If you've got a Bible in front of you there, you'll discover that the first invitation is this. Come to me. It's Jesus speaking, and I cannot imagine a more wonderful invitation than that invitation. Come to me. It's Jesus speaking to the human heart, saying, come to me. It's him calling out to you. It's him calling out to me, saying, come to me. It can arrive at different times and ways, and I want to encourage you this morning to be on the alert, because if in the context of the message this morning, you hear Jesus calling to you to come to him, I want to encourage you to come to him. The call in this passage 
has the form and the force of a command, really. But it's a conditional command. It's similar to what Jesus said over in John 7 when he said, if any of you is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Here Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. It's interesting that as you consider that with me for a moment, in many ways it seems to be, at least to me, an accurate portrait of many, if not most, of the people I pass on the streets of life. You may this morning find yourself living at the corner of worn out and burdened down streets. This may be your address, but you put on a brave front. You put on an empty smile and soldier on. You are running on empty, but you keep trying to push forward. Others looking at you may not see that and sense that, but you feel it deeply within you. You're weary and heavy laden. The word weary that Jesus used here is in the active voice. In other words, it's an activity that we do. It's the picture of working to the point of exhaustion. We often, it seems to me, like make choices that tire us to the bone, which is literally what the word here speaks to. It's the end result of long, hard labor. It's the idea of becoming fully spent, not just tired. We become spent with nothing left to give. We're running on empty. Sometimes, most often perhaps, it comes from our taking on too many activities, running in too many different directions, and thinking that we need to do all of these things in order to succeed. But it's not the only way that we can arrive at this place of personal weariness. Rebellion can do that. Defying God. Trying to be God. Isaiah 48 verse 22 and Isaiah 57, verse 21, say the same thing. The way of the transgressor is hard. It's hard in its demands. And it's hard in its outcomes, isn't it? And perhaps you this morning are sitting there saying, you know, I really am just weary. The phrase heavy laden, or burdened down, that's in the passive voice. It's something that is done to us. It comes to us from outside of ourselves. We find ourselves sometimes burdened under the assault of words and deeds, conflicts and concerns of others which seem to be heaped upon us and become part of our lives in varying degrees. You know, religion can become a very heavy burden. Jesus spoke to this over in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, verse 4, when he said, speaking of the scribes and the Pharisees, he said of them, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. Religion does that. 
Over in Acts 15, the early church was trying to understand what is to be required of these Gentiles who are coming to Christ, coming to faith in Him, out of a pagan background. Shall we require that they align themselves with all that Judaism teaches? And there were those who were saying, of course, they must obey all of the things of the law. And, and they were discussing how much should be required. And Peter speaks to this issue before all of them. And he says, now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Religion can be that heavy, heavy burden. It's not the way that God wanted us to live. And so that's the first invitation. Jesus says, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. If that's you this morning, what's your response? RSVP. The second invitation is this, take my yoke upon you. The yoke that Jesus speaks of here, I picture as being uh, the two-animal yoke that perhaps you've seen depicted in pictures before. I saw it many times traveling in India. You would see it on the necks of two oxen working in tandem out in the field. Or perhaps two oxen pulling a cart down a busy street. But Jesus here says, Take my yoke upon you. It pictures this reality, I believe, and it is that Jesus himself has already bent his neck and already is yoked. And he invites us to come alongside of him, to take our place next to him. You see, coming under the yoke is a place of submission. Jesus had already fully submitted himself to the will of the Father. He came to do the will of God. And he submitted himself to the Father and he calls us alongside to say, join me in this, for it is a place of submission. But not only is it a place of submission, it's also a place of service. You put oxen in the yoke for the purpose of them providing some service to you, of helping you in the work that you're accomplishing. And Jesus says, come alongside of me, take my yoke upon you, and enter into the service of the Father, even as I myself have surrendered myself to do. Take my yoke upon you. That's the second of his invitation to us. But then there's a third invitation that he gives, and that is, learn of me. Jesus says, let me become your teacher. And he really has two ways in which he means to do this. One is by his words, the things that he teaches us verbally, the things that we discover that he speaks forth within the Bible that speak to our hearts. That's one of the ways he teaches us, even as he is speaking to us through these words this morning. But he also teaches by his own example. And that's his invitation to us. And he explains something of the kind of teacher that he is in that next statement that he makes. For he says, for I am gentle and lowly 
of heart. The King James Version says, For I am meek and lowly in heart. Now, Jesus here is not only telling us, however, the kind of teacher that he is, but he's also giving us the key to how to have peace and joy and contentment and fulfillment and the abundant life to which he's called us. What did he mean when he said, for I am meek or gentle? The word itself is a rather difficult one to, to translate and fully understand. It's not easy to grasp. Most translators have opted to translate that word as gentle. Maybe you could think of it in this way. Picture a new father who has just become the proud daddy of a, of a newborn baby. It's his first son. And his wife is there cradling that baby and she begins to reach out to him to hand the child to this new father. And she says to him, be gentle. Why does she say that to him? I mean, almost never would you hear someone needing to say that to a woman. But certainly to us men, those are probably wise words because so many times if we're not careful, we're not aware of our own strength. And that strength, if abused, can cause great harm. Things can go badly if we abuse the power that we have. And so we must be gentle or meek. We must learn to restrain our strength. But in the spiritual sense, it has a much richer and deeper meaning. It is this. It is exercising God's strength under His control. Exercising God's strength under His control. We're all interested in receiving power from God, but unfortunately many times we're not as interested in allowing it to remain under His control. And yet the very fact is, that we must be willing to be under his control, to allow him to maintain control of the reins over our lives. In fact, the word that is translated here as meek or gentle was sometimes used in secular writings to re refer to a horse that had been broken. Here is raw power, but it's the power that has never been harnessed. And the trainer goes through different exercises to finally bring that horse, this power, under control. And that's what is pictured here. God bringing wild beings under his control where the reins are in his hands, but we're empowered to live in a way that we otherwise could never live. We need to be able to be led by God. I suppose another way that we could say it is we need to be teachable. Ready to be shown. Ready to be shown the problematic way. Able and willing to listen when God says the way you're going is a hard way. It's not a good way. Don't go that way. 
It's a problematic way, ready to be shown that, and ready to be shown a way that is better. Sometimes it's difficult to learn this lesson of being teachable. I know that for me, I think I was rather a late bloomer in that. There was a stubborn streak in me, and there were certain things that I just thought I could do on my own. I didn't need someone else's expertise. There was somewhat of a turning point in my own life when a number of years ago, I decided that I wanted to take whatever skill or talent God had gifted me with related to painting and art and try and improve it to become better, more proficient at it. And I found a man who was a professional artist. He had been so throughout his life. And I went to him and I said, would you be willing to give me private lessons and I want you to teach me how to be a better artist? And I said, I don't want you to hold back. I want you to be exactly honest with me and I want to learn. And he took me at my word and he became my teacher. And for several years, I took private lessons from him. And I had determined when I started, I was going to do everything that he asked me to do. He was the master. I was the student. I wasn't in a position to argue with him or tell him what he was telling me was wrong. He knew what he was doing. I needed to learn how to do what he was doing. And I willingly and gladly submitted myself to him. And I think that over time, it bore a good fruit in my life. But it is this attitude of heart and belief of mind that we must embrace. Meekness is not a natural disposition, I've come to realize. It is a Jesus-taught and God-given grace. It is listed over in Galatians 5 as one of the fruit of the Spirit. Meekness is explicitly a spiritual quality. It's a learned quality. And it must be a practiced quality. I believe that it was ultimately the central quality in Jesus. He's the master. And we must learn from him. Now, when we speak of meekness, I think that some people think about weakness, and yet nothing could be further from the truth. Consider Moses, towering figure in the Old Testament, one of the greatest personalities that we find in the Bible, and yet the Bible says of him, he was the meekest man who ever lived. Consider David, great warrior that he was. And yet it was this David who over in Psalm 37 verse 11 said, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Consider Paul. And yet he was the one who penned those words over in Galatians 5 about meekness being part of the fruit of the Spirit. But most importantly, consider Jesus. The strongest man who ever lived bent his neck to do the will of his Father. And he invites you and me to do the same. 
But often we don't learn, do we? Because we haven't come to him and we haven't submitted ourselves to him. Instead, we live our lives filled with conflict of different kinds and from different sources. And you know, the more I think about it, the more I'm convinced that most, if, if not all, of our weariness comes from these conflicts, these wrong responses in our lives. Sometimes the conflicts can be self-induced. When I consider my own weariness, I often discover that it's due to my lack of meekness. These conflicts, you see, can come from our desires to protect ourselves. We're pretty good at wanting to do that, aren't we? To attempt to excuse ourselves. The tendency to think about my time and my space and my rights. Meekness is entirely devoid of self-assertion. And yet the world around us says, assert yourself, stand up for yourself, claim your rights, learn to love yourselves. And yet these things were all foreign to Jesus. Jesus is meek or gentle. Jesus is lowly or humble. Our conflicts sometimes come from those around us who challenge us. Sometimes they're self-induced, but sometimes they come from those around us. Certainly Jesus was not foreign to that. Constantly Jesus was confronted by the scribes and the Pharisees who challenged him about the things that he said, about the things that he did, about the people with whom he associated. And they wanted to lay on him strictures that he simply was unwilling to bend to because he had already bent his will to the Father. It was Jesus himself who said, it is written in the law, I have come, O Lord, to do your will. That was the way he lived. And he invites us to learn from him how to live as he lived. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Can the Lord do these things, though, in our lives if we're not teachable? If I'm not ready to be shown? James 121 says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Can I put away all filthiness and wickedness and receive God's word if I'm not meek? Humble acceptance, readiness to be shown, being teachable. In James 3.13 there it says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The truly wise man will always exemplify meekness. Jesus' meekness was an irresistible force. The kingdom of God, you see, always turns our thinking upside down to make it right side up.
this meekness is the true power that the king possesses and that he offers. You see, perhaps one of the most poignant pictures showing this forth in Scripture is found on the night when Jesus was preparing to go to the cross. He had gathered with his disciples in the upper room. And they were arguing among themselves. The scriptures tell us this. They were arguing among themselves, which one is the greatest? And Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around himself, and began to kneel at their feet, washing their feet. And having done this, he turned to them and he said, You call me Lord and Master. And you're right, for so I am. But if I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, should you not also do that for one another? It was this Jesus, in his pierced love, in his wounded love, in his rejected love that on that night when he was betrayed by one of his followers denied by another one of them abandoned by all of them it was this Jesus who kept on loving but how do I learn how can I learn this well, I must, be, I must learn to live spiritually with Jesus, yoked in purpose with him. I must allow his love to pierce my heart. When something crosses my path and my own way is challenged, or when I receive some attack or slight from someone else, what is my response? I must lift it to Jesus. And say, Lord, teach me your meekness. In Revelation 5, as John is recording the things being shown to him, there is a scroll that is sealed. And there's weeping because the concern is who is worthy to open the scroll? And the angel says to him, the Lion of Judah is worthy to open the scroll. But then it goes on to say, and when I looked, I saw a lamb as a, as a slain. You see, the, the real depiction of the Lion of Judah is found in a lamb sacrificed can you think of anything more lowly than a lamb slain? And yet that is Jesus. So let's circle back to where we began to remember that there is a promise in the midst of this. At the beginning, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. 
Jesus reiterates this promise again when he says, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word that he uses there for easy means good, serviceable, wholesome, well-fitting. Easy in the sense that it's, it's the way that it should be. And light, not heavy. Because we don't bear it alone. And his commands are not burdensome. We know that. 1 John 5 3 says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Would Jesus have ever said these things? Would he have ever made this promise if he couldn't fulfill it? Would he have said to us, come to him and find this peace that your soul desperately needs if he was not capable of bringing that to us? We know better. We know deep down in our heart that he could do what he said he would do. But we must be willing to respond to his invitations. We must come to him. We must be willing to take his yoke upon us. We must be willing to learn of him. Then we are able to find that rest for our soul. We can find quietness and peace and joy and hope. That's what he calls us to. Sometimes I really believe that there is a heart preparation that has to take place before we're ready to be shown. The Lord sometimes must allow us to go our own way. Until, finally, we are so fully burdened and weary that we're willing. Sometimes he has to make us ready to be made ready to be shown. Where does the Lord find you this morning? That's the real question. I said at the beginning, the only thing that's going to matter when today is done is what happened in individual lives. I can look across all your faces in this room this morning. And the simple truth is, if this was a word that your heart was open to receive, then your life can be different because of it. But that's all that's going to matter. If you're came not ready to be shown, then you'll leave as you came. Maybe God still has to get you ready. But if you say, oh, I am ready, then come to Jesus. Maybe you've never done that in your life. You know about him, but you've never really come to him. You've never really humbled yourself. You've re never really bent the knee and said to him, Jesus, I submit to you, both as my Savior and Lord, I need you. I can't do it on my own. It's killing me. I'm weary. I'm worn out. And I'm too burdened. I'm not made to be the center of the universe. Would you save me? Would you change me? If you'll come to him, he will. That's his promise. He will. Jesus said, 
If anyone comes to me, I will in no wise cast him out. But you must come to Jesus. But looking around the room, I think it's probably safe to assume that many, if not most of us, would say, yes, I've already done that. So how is it going with you? Are you living in the peace and the joy and the fulfillment that Christ has promised? Or at some point, have you come to feel like that you're just tired of the way that things are? You're weary, you're worn out, and you need relief. Come to Jesus. Take his yoke upon you. Learn of him, and you will find rest for your soul. To all of us, his invitation rings clear. Come to Jesus, but you must RSVP.